forward. Share screen. Okay, so uh, tonight's discussion, as you see, hopefully on the uh, the top of the screen over there, is uh, a Shiloh that we got, uh, a call that we received um, about somebody, I don't remember which city was in, maybe Atlanta or something like that, but uh, somebody owns a, uh, in a barbershop and employs uh, primarily non-Jewish barbers. And although he's not open on Shabbos, uh, during the winter time, so he's open. The the barbershop is open until like six o'clock. So in the winter time, if you're open until six o'clock, that's going to include Shabbos. And as they discussed it, so it turns out that the fellow actually doesn't close uh, for uh, for uh, for Yantav either. When Yantav falls during the week, I'm going to take that, that off of the screen. When Yantav falls during the week, so they also they don't uh, he doesn't close uh, on Yantav. And the, uh, the non-Jews, uh, the barbers, so they go in and they do whatever they, uh, they normally do. So he's not there. The owner's not there. But the barbershop is open and uh, haircuts are being, uh, are being uh, given. And the question is, what exactly are, uh, what should be done, if anything, as far as halacha is concerned? Is there a way to, uh, to justify the practice or, you know, is he, uh, is he cooked? So... Uh, with a shiloh like this, so the first thing that you have to, uh, yeah, we have to determine. The first thing we have to determine is... Was the shiloh asked by the barber or by some customer? I mean... The barber. The owner. Oh, the owner. The owner. It could be... Actually, I think it was the owner's rub. I think the owner's rub found out what this guy was doing, and he called up and said, hey, I have a congregant who's doing this. Uh, is there any way we could, uh, you know, what, what could we do? I think that's. I think that was actually the case. Well, what do you do about anybody who's mechalal Shabbos in any other way? You know, there he, are he, he's, he's not. He's not there on Shabbos. Just his his Gentile barbers are there on Shabbos. He's in shul. Yeah, so it's no it's no chil Shabbos directly by him. Uh, it's just a, a shaila of Amir Lenachri of instructing an Anjou to do malacha. Yeah, so 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 he may be doing the wrong thing, but why does anybody else care? I mean, you, you know, you can certainly patronize his barbershop on Tuesday. It wouldn't present any problem, right? The, I mean, the rabbi wants to know whether he has to tell the guy that he's got to close up for Shabbos. I see. Okay. So, the first question which has to be asked is, how exactly are the barbers paid? Because there's really one of two ways that the barbers could be paid. Either they can be paid an hourly rate. Uh, I don't know, let's say uh, $10, $15 an hour to go ahead and give haircuts. And they'll get paid that rate regardless of how many customers actually come in. Or is it somebody who's considered to be, which we'll talk about in a moment, the difference, but somebody who's going to get paid a percentage of all of the haircuts. So they keep track of, uh, of uh, how many uh, haircuts each barber gave. And if they collect, let's say, $15 a haircut, so the barber, let's say, will get $10 and the owner will get $5 per, per haircut. And that will, uh, that's another way that they could go ahead and they could structure the, the employment agreement. And this difference is something which is going to be very, uh, very significant because if somebody is a, if somebody's paid an hourly rate, regardless of how many haircuts they give, so that's what we call in halach a schiryom, Schiryom would literally mean somebody who's paid by the day, but it means it doesn't make a difference whether they're paid hourly, they're paid daily, they're paid weekly, they're paid monthly, but they're paid a fixed amount for their time. Or is a person a kablon, or as we're going to see in Aris, where a person is actually getting a, a fixed amount of money, not for their time, but for the task which, it, which is done. That's generally the way we understand a kablon, is that they're paid to complete a task. So this is going to be significant because if somebody, if the barbers are paid hourly, so then even in the event that they work completely of their own volition, it's still going to be something which is Asar and Shabbos. And that's going to be something which would prove problematic. Now we could go back to our sheet over here. Now it appears over there. So yes, the first up. source, it's up. Uh, thank you. The first source says, this comes from the Shulchan HaKarab, and he's talking about a, uh, a, a schirium. He's talking about somebody who's paid a fixed amount. We're just going to say hourly. So he says, he rules. We're jumping in the middle of the paragraph here. But he says that even in the event that the non-Jew decides completely of his own volition that he's going to work on Shabbos in order to earn money, it's Aser. The Jewish uh, employer isn't allowed uh, to, uh, to, uh, to permit this non-Jew to work on Shabbos. 
So he explains, make it even a little bigger. He says, even though the Jew never told him to work on Shabbos, he just said, every day that you work, you're going to get $50, $100, whatever, it is, whatever the amount is. He says, even though the Jew didn't instruct him explicitly to work on Shabbos, if he does work on Shabbos, he's doing so because he, ho- he, he expects to earn the $50, his daily, his daily rate. When the Jew went ahead and hired him for uh, $50 a day. And when the non-Jew, let's take our example, shows up in the barber shop, so he's expecting to get his $15 an hour. And that's because the Jewish owner told him that I will pay you $15 an hour to cut hair. So even if the Jew doesn't tell him that you have to show up on Shabbos, or you have to show up on Yontif and cut hair, but every time the non-Jew shows up in the shop to cut hair, he's doing so as an employee of the, uh, of the owner. And that's going to be the key over here. We consider it every schir yom, every hourly wage earner, is considered to be the agent of his employer. So he's just an extension of the employer. And therefore the malacha, which that non-Jew does, is traced back to the Jewish owner. And that's why it's Amir al That's why it's as if he's being explicitly told to do this work. Lefikach, therefore, even though the barber is cutting hair on Yontif or on Shabbos night, because he wants to earn the $15 an hour, this doesn't help at all. This is not going to get us anywhere as far as Shabbos is concerned. Why? Because when we're dealing with somebody who's an agent for others, somebody who is an agent for others, so by definition, he's always going to be working for the, uh, the other party. And and regardless of whether it's instructed explicitly or not, either way, either way, he's going to be a shliach. And therefore, so if we were dealing with uh, barbers who are paid an hourly rate to cut hair, so then it would essentially be game over. Then there would be nothing that we could do to go ahead and justify allowing the non-Jewish barbers to continue to work on Shabbos or Yantif. It's something which would be, uh, which would be absolutely awesome. On the other hand, in the event that they are paid a fixed amount per haircut, they're paid $10 per haircut or something like that. So then they are categorized as a Kablin or an Aris, either a, uh, um, a Kablin is an independent contractor or an Aris is a sharecropper. And we'll talk about the difference between them uh, in, in a moment. But in the event that that were to be the case, so then there's going to be what to work with. There's going to be some, uh, some, some wiggle room to potentially say that what's happening is allowed on Shabbos because the key phrase by that, you, that one needs to keep in mind when it comes to this type of employment agreement is the phrase adaita dinafsheh. Adaita dinafsheh is the Aramaic for that the person has his own interest in mind. So taking the example of a Kablan, if I pay somebody um, uh, $100 to go ahead and uh, to, uh, or let's say I pay them $20 to do an oil change on my car. So I'm not paying him for his time, how much time it takes him to do that oil change. I'm paying him to complete a task. The task is an oil change. He's getting paid a fixed amount for that oil change. So if I drop off my car by the mechanic on Friday afternoon, and I say, listen, I need an oil change. I'll be back on Monday morning to come pick up my car. So if he decides to go ahead and do that oil change on Shabbos, it doesn't serve me at all. He's doing it completely of his own volition because as far as I'm concerned, he could do it Friday afternoon. He could do it Motsai Shabbos. He could do it Sunday. He could do it whenever he wants. I don't care when he does it as long as it's done by Monday. So in that case, that's what we call a kablan, where they're being paid to do a job. And if they're being paid for the completion of a task, if they, uh, of their own volition, decide that they're willing to go ahead and work on it on Shabbos. So then that's their own choice. And it's not my Amira. It's not my instruction, which is why they're doing this, uh, this work on Shabbos. And that would be permitted. That's something which would be permitted. A Kablan who chooses to work on Shabbos. So the Jewish employer 
doesn't have to protest that at all. Okay, now at this point, we're going to need, it's not really a digression, but it's, a, it, it's an issue it, it's a, which needs to be clarified in this discussion, because as we're going to see, there's a difference between the Kablan, the person we just described, and in Aris, Aris Aleph Resh Yud Samech, we'll see the phrase later, but in Aris, an Aris is a sharecropper. So a sharecropper is, I own some farmland in uh, middle Wisconsin, probably anywhere in Wisconsin, but I own some, uh, some, uh, some uh, farm area in Wisconsin. And uh, since I live here in, uh, in Skokie, so I'm not interested in working the land. So I hire a sharecropper and the agreement is, he's going to go ahead and do all the work on the farm. He's essentially leasing it from me. He's going to do all the work on the farm. And in consideration of the fact that he's working my land, he doesn't have any of his own farm. So he's going to do the work on my farm. So we have an agreement between us how we're going to split up the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the crops. So he'll get two thirds. I'll get one third. I'll get two thirds. He gets one third. It doesn't make a difference what the percentage is, but we're going to share the percentages of, the, of, of those profits. That's what we call an aris. We need to uh, uh, differentiate between the two because as we're going to see, there may be a difference between them in one particular nuanced area, which is going to be very relevant for this Shiloh related to the barbershop. Okay, so to get into this, so we now look at source number two. Source number two says, Yehudi Hakone Meches. So a Jew went ahead and bought the right to collect taxes. So let's just say for simplicity, he leased a toll booth. So if you go ahead and you take Dempster down to the toll road in order to get onto, to get to O'Hare, so you're going to go through a toll booth. So somebody decided, Mel decided that it would be profitable to go ahead and lease from the state of Illinois this toll booth. And he's going to, he paid them $50,000 for the year. And now whatever taxes, whatever tolls Mel is going to collect over the year. So all of that is his profit because he already paid $50,000. So in the city of Chicago, that's what happened. They leased out the parking meters back when they had parking meters. So they leased it out to, uh, to some company and the company paid them some huge amount of money up front. And then from that point on, all the money which is collected in the meters or with that app or whatever it is. So all of that now belongs to the company. Beautiful. Now, the problem is, is that Mel is aware that what's he going to do on Shabbos? Sunday through Friday, Mel sits in the, in the toll booth and he collects 50 cents uh, you know, per, uh, per car. But he can't be there on Shabbos, obviously. He's got to be in shul listening to the drasha. So what is he going to do? So he says, Umaskir, So he goes ahead and he hires a non-Jew to sit in the toll booth on Shabbos and collect the tolls on Shabbos. Ah, how could Mel hire somebody to go ahead and work on Shabbos? Isn't that us, sir? So Shulchan Aruch says, Mutter, it's going to be permitted for Mel to hire this person to collect the tolls on Shabbos. If Mel goes ahead and hires this non-Jew as a kablan. So kablan, that's what we were talking about before in terms of somebody who's hired to do a task. How exactly do you do it? It's not like an oil change where you drain the oil, you put in new oil. That's we know what the parameters of an oil change are and what the task is. What exactly is the task of collecting a, collecting a toll? So Shochanach explains, Mel says to the fellow, listen, your task is every hundred dollars that you collect, I'm going to give you 10 bucks. So that's the job. So the job is every $10, which you, Mr. Gentile toll sitter, toll booth sitter, that you collect, so you are going to earn a 10% of that. Actually, I shouldn't say 10%. You're going to get $10 salary for every $100 that you collect. Okay, that's the agreement. And Shulchan Aruch, what's going to be significant as we move forward is, Shulchan Aruch characterizes this as a kablan as a person who has a task to perform. And as a result of the task he has to perform, He's going, to get, he's going to get his $10 per hundred. Comes along Rabbi Kivager. Rabbi Kivager says in source three, he says, Kashali. He says, I don't understand Shochanach's wording over here. Why? Why is this called a kablan? Why is this called a, an independent contractor? This should really be considered a sharecropping agreement. Why? Because 
the a, a cobbler is paid a fixed amount of money to go ahead and do a task, twenty dollars to do an oil change. So that is there's nothing there's no profits uh, that we're sharing over here. It's just a salary. It's a fixed amount of money that a person is going to be paid to go ahead and to carry out a task. But over here, this gentile that's sitting in Mel's toll booth, he's being told that I'm sharing with you the profits. Every hundred dollars that you collect, you get to keep ten dollars. So why is Shulchan Aruch describing that as a Kablan arrangement, as an independent contractor type of employee? Really, this is an Aris, which is a sharecropper. It's a shutfus of, tor- of sorts. It's a partnership of sorts where we're going to divide the profits between us. Now, as I said, it may sound like a technical issue, that uh, a, a, a definition issue or a uh, 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 just a... Uh, um, uh, a disagreement as far as terminology is concerned, but as we're going to see, this is actually going to have a pretty significant nafkamina, a potential nafkamina. So now, in order to answer this, in order to understand why when Mel hires this Gentile to sit in the toll booth and says, every $100 you collect, you're going to get $10, why does Shulchan Aruch call that a kablon rather than referring it to an, uh, to, uh, refer to it as an aris? So for this, we have to begin to resolve this. It'll take us two sources to resolve this, but we have to go to a Gemara in Gittin. The Gemara in Gittin says the following. Who governed the Amr Leila Rise? So here is going to be, um, where'd you go? Ralph, Ralph owns some farmland out uh, by Vegas. I imagine there's not too many farms out in Vegas, but he's got some land out there in the middle of nowhere. And while Ralph is here during much of the year, so he says to his aris, he says to his sharecropper, listen, most, the arrangement of most farmers and sharecroppers in the area is, everybody else, means they water the farm three times. The word tlas over there is all you need to identify is Aramaic for three. So they water the farm three times and v'achli riva. And then the sharecropper gets one quarter of the profits. That's the rivers, one quarter. So that's the way most people have their sharecropping agreement. Do water it three times over the season and you get a quarter of the uh, the profits. Ah, but for you, I want to go ahead and I want to do an experiment. Dali Arba, I want you to go ahead and water the field four times. So I, I have a task, greater a greater expectation of you than everybody else. But in consideration of the fact that you're going to water it an extra time, the achal tilsa, you're going to earn a third of the profits rather than a quarter. So that's the agreement. Everybody else does three tasks and gets only a quarter. I want you to do four tasks and then you'll get a third. And what happened? So he went ahead and he watered it three times together with everybody else. He was scheduled to go ahead and water it a fourth time. And what happens? Lesov. Asamitra. And on the night before he was going to go ahead and water it the fourth time, there's a torrential rainstorm which went ahead and watered the field all by itself. So he never actually did that fourth watering of the field. He only did three. So how much does he get? Does he get the one third which he was promised for watering it four times? Or does he get only the quarter because Lamaisa, he only watered it three times? He didn't water it four times. So believe it or not, it's a machlokas. Am Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Haladala. says, listen, he only gets one third. He only gets that additional amount to equal one third if he was going to go ahead and do the task of watering it four times. He didn't water four times. He only watered it three times, which is the same as everybody else. So since he only did the work, which everybody else does, he only gets the, the return that everybody else gets, which is only a quarter. And too bad, so sad. We're so sorry it rained unexpectedly, but stinks to be you, and I'm only paying you out one third. But Rabbi Amar, Rabbi says, he says, no, he's going to get one third. His job was to make sure, not to make sure, his job was to, to water it four times. Let's say it like that. Lemaisa, he got lucky because one of the times that he was going to go ahead and water it, it was unnecessary for him to do so. But since at the end of the day, the field was watered four times, three times by the Aris, one time by God, but ultimately, since it was watered four times, Rabbi says, he gets all, he gets the full third. So now, this is something which is going to be significant because Tosos over there asks, 
Tosos is wondering, how could we go ahead and give this Aris a greater share of the profits if he didn't do the work that he was expected to do? You get paid to do work. If you're paid to do work and you don't do the work, so why do you expect you're going to get paid? So he said, Tosos asked in Source 5, Vim Tomer de Beper Ka'umnin. In Bamitzi, it says, Amrina Sachras Apollin. Let's say you go ahead and you hired some workers to go ahead and water your field. Okay, that's what you did. You, were, you didn't want to go out to, to water your garden. So you go ahead and you hire other people to go ahead and do so. And what happened? Their job was to water it every Monday and Thursday. And Vasa Mitra. And then Sunday night, it rains. And as a result of that, it's unnecessary to go ahead and water the field uh, on, on Monday. So what does the Gemara say? Hefse de Paulin. So it, the workers, the employees, they lose out because they were hired to do a job. It turns out that their job is unnecessary. If it rains the night before, you don't have to go. It's like turning on the sprinkler when it's raining outside. So you can't get paid to turn on the sprinkler when it's raining outside. It's raining outside anyways. We don't need that job. So in the Gemara Bar it says if you're hired to do a job and you end up not doing that job because it rains, so the employee is the one who, who loses out. So if over there in Bamitzia we say that if it rains, the employee loses out, why is Rabbah saying in source number four that when it rains, he still is going to be able to collect a full third of the profits rather than the quarter? He didn't do the extra work. So if he didn't do the extra work, he shouldn't get the extra, the extra benefit. So this is the question that Toso says, that seemingly the Gemara in Gitten and the Gemara in Bamitzia are inconsistent. Because in one case, if you don't do the extra work, you don't get the extra money. And then in Gitten, we say, even though you didn't do the extra work, you'll still get the extra profit. How do we reconcile these two sources? So says Tosos. Fortunately, the answer is right here in Tosos. You don't have to go searching somewhere else. He says, or we could say, shiny hasam. Because over there, meaning in the Gemara Bab Metziah, where you hired a guy to water your garden, so the agreement that you have with your gardener is you're hiring him by the day. I want you to spend the day watering my garden. And that's your job. The task was, I'm hiring you to go ahead and water the field. Okay, that's a job. And that's how you're going to earn your money. If it turns out that it rains and I don't need you to water my garden, you're not my employee. You're only my employee in the event that you actually do the job. If you don't do the job, so how can you claim that you're my employee and deserve to get paid if you didn't do the job, which I hired you to do? If you don't do the job, you don't get anything. Aval. But over here, we're talking about Ralph hiring somebody to go ahead and take care of his farm out in Vegas there. So he's a sharecropper. Sharecropper is very different than a skiryom, an employee. And he's going to do all of the tasks which are necessary to take care of the field. Now, here's the key line. He says, The artist, Vyesho Chelik Bakarka, Kamobal Hasada. When you hire somebody as a sharecropper, he's not your employee. Essentially, what you're doing is you're taking on a shutaf. You're taking on a partner. And as a partner, so he is going to get a portion of the proceeds of this field, the same way that Ralph is going to get his portion of the, uh, of the field. So to the Aris also does. And therefore, umiyad lidlos arba, so as soon as Ralph hires this sharecropper and he makes a special agreement with him and he says, listen, if you go ahead and make sure that the farm is watered four times, so you're going to earn one third of the profits rather than a quarter of the profits, then as a shutaf, now the, the sharecropper is at a distinct advantage. And that is, even if it turns out that it rains, and he, it's not necessary for him to actively water it that fourth time. Kamosharas Arisim, he is going, which would be what other Arisim do. Actually, we don't need the, this last part. I'm actually going to delete it from the permanent record. So it's, when it turns out that it rains and we don't need that job to be done, so that doesn't impact a sharecropper because the sharecropper is considered to be a partner. 
and as a partner, so partners are, are always going to benefit from whatever, whatever emerges from the partnership. If there's a profit in that partnership, so it's going to be shared between the partners. Even if it turns out that none of the work needs to be done, that's completely irrelevant when we are dealing with partners. So what Tosos is telling us is, is there's a fundamental difference between a, we're going to say, a Kablin on the one hand, who's paid to do a job. If you don't do your job, so you don't get paid. An Aris who becomes a partner in the field and is a partner in the field. So he is going to be able to reap the benefits, literally. He's going to be able to reap the benefits even if he doesn't actually do any of the work. If Martians come down and they go ahead and they plow the field for him so that he doesn't have to do any of the plowing himself. So the owner of the field, Ralph can't say to his Aris, listen, Martians went ahead and did the plowing, not you. And therefore you don't deserve your percentage. It's none of your business how I get the job done. As long as the job is done, that the field is properly taken care of and it produces its, its crop. So we're going to share that whatever the percentage is, of one third, uh, two thirds or one quarter, three quarters. It's, it's none of your business how I get the job done as long as the job is done. And that's how Tosos differentiates between the Gemara in Gittin and the Gemara in, uh, in Bab Metziah. Okay, so what does this mean as far as we are concerned? So now what we, what, 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 what's going to emerge from here is that there's a difference between a Kablan and an Aris. So when it comes to, now going back to Vikivegar's question, when Mel went ahead and said to his toll booth guy that, listen, every $100 that you correct, that you collect, I'm going to give you $10. So is he a Kablan or is he an Aris? So Vikivegar said, listen, since he's getting a, a, a percentage of how much is collected, that makes him an Aris. That sounds like he, a sharecropper, that they, there's a shared, uh, they're sharing a percentage of the profit between them, whatever that breakdown is going to be. Shulchan Aruch says, no, he's not an Aris at all because he's actually not getting paid a percentage. If he was getting paid a percentage, uh, use this as an example to, to highlight the difference between them. Every $100, Mel says, every $100 you collect, you get $10. Yeah, good. What happens when the guy collects on a Saturday? It's a, it's a holiday, nobody's traveling. And the, the, uh, the Gentile toll booth collector collects $150. How much does he get for the day? He gets $10 for the day. Because the agreement was every 100 that you collect, I will give you 10. It doesn't say I'm giving you 10% of everything which is collected. It says every 100 which you collect, I will give you 10. So if you collect 199, I only owe you $10 because you didn't collect that second hundred. Since you didn't cross that threshold into that second hundred, you don't get any extra money for that. And that's how we know that he's actually not getting paid a percentage and we wouldn't characterize him as an Aris in that case. An actual Aris would be for every dollar that you collect or every whatever you collect, you get 10%. In that case, if you collect $150, then you would have earned, he would have earned $15. But that's not what's happening over here. And that's the difference between an Aris and a Kablan. Now, this is going to be significant because if the barbers are said, for every $15 haircut which comes in, you get $10 and I get $5. So that's what we would call they're sharing in that profit together. And that would make him into an Aris. Why is that going to be significant? Okay. Thank you for asking. So now, now we get back to our topic at hand. So now, even though we said that if you drop off your car by the mechanic and say, I need an oil change, $20, I'm going to pick it up on Monday morning. So he said, if he decides that he's going to go ahead and do that oil change on Shabbos, it's none of your business. You don't have to be concerned about that. If he does that, that's not your Amira. You're not instructing him to do the Malacha, and therefore you are good to go. However, says Shochanach, source number six, so here's another example of a hiring somebody. So you have uh, the proverbial um, uh, um, uh, a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman. So you give a fella a bunch of encyclopedias and say, listen, throw these in your trunk, go to door-to-door, whatever encyclopedias you sell, I will give you a, uh, I'll give you uh, $20. So it's permitted for him to, to go ahead and give him the encyclopedias, tell him whatever encyclopedias you sell, you get $20. Im provided that I fixed a rate that he's going to get. Now, here's what we want to see, though. But even though he's a kablon, and if he chooses to do the malach on his own, that's acceptable. 
in the event that you tell him explicitly, I want you, I insist that you sell encyclopedias on Shabbos, that you're not allowed to do. That's what we call koveya melachto. If you're koveya, you set that the melacha that he is going to do must be done on Shabbos. So then it's going to be usher, even though he's a kablan. So that would mean, the, the equivalent of that would be by our, our, our oil change, is if you drop off the car on the way to Shul Friday afternoon, say, I need an oil change, I'm going to pick it up after Shul Motsai Shabbos. So the only time you've given him uh, to, do, to perform that oil change is Shabbos. So if the only time he has to do that is within that Shabbos uh, time frame, so then that's what we call Koveh Malachta, and you're not allowed to do so. So there always has to be some, some time outside of Shabbos, which allows the, the employee to go ahead and get the job done without having to do it on Shabbos. As long as there's the potential that he can do it outside of Shabbos, then if he chooses to do it on Shabbos, that was his own choice. That's not my responsibility. But if I only give him a time frame to get this done on Shabbos, so then that's not allowed. Same thing if you drop off your, uh, your uh, a suit or a dress, air of Shabbos by the cleaners, and you tell them now in the winter, I'll be back, I need next day service. I'm going to pick it up tomorrow after, uh, after Shabbos. And then it says on the ticket that it'll be ready Saturday after five. So Shabbos ends at five. You get there at, uh, at 5.20. The only way that they're going to be able to get it done, have it ready by 5.20 on Shabbos, is they have to clean it on Shabbos. There's no choice. There's not enough time outside of that. So that would be Asr. Eadza Meshavur, we won't even read it inside just for time's sake. He says that, uh, let's say, you don't actually specify that it's on Shabbos. You tell the non-Jew, listen, I grow um, green peppers and red peppers and cucumbers in my garden. And Shabbos is, uh, I, I'm not able to work on Shabbos. I want you to go ahead and I want you to sell this produce. So the Gentile says, fine, I'll be more than happy to go ahead and sell the, uh, the produce. Um, uh, where am I going to sell it? So listen, you go to that parking lot by, uh, by the library over there in Skokie, and you can go ahead and you can sell it over there. The guy says, great. He goes online. He looks up the, uh, the farmer's market in Skokie and finds out the farmer's market is only open on Saturday. Now, nobody told him that he has to sell these, these vegetables on Saturday, but the only day the market is open, the only day the farmer's market is open is on Saturday. So the Mishabura says that in that circumstance, that also violates this principle of koveya malachto. Because although, uh, although you didn't say to him you have to work on Shabbos, if the only time to actually do the work is on Shabbos, that's the equivalent of telling him you have to work on Shabbos. If there's nothing uh, magical about saying the word Shabbos per se, it's going to be violated when you give him a task to do, which ultimately has to be done on Shabbos, either because you told him to do it on Shabbos or because the only time to do it is on Shabbos. Either way, that, that's going to be us. Okay. Now the question is, so that is, so Shulchan Aruch in source six and the Mishabur in seven are talking about a kablam. So that's, we said, that's the fellow who you hire to do your oil change. And if you tell him that you have to do the oil change on Shabbos, so that's also that you're not allowed to do. Now the question is, what about an aris? Now that we've established before that there's a difference between an aris, the sharecropper, who gets a percentage of the profits and a kablam, the independent contractor is going to be doing a particular job for you, are you allowed to go ahead and tell the Aris, I want you to work on Shabbos? So, thank you for asking. It's a machlokas, believe it or not. So, Shulchan Harav over here, we have two opinions. We're going to see the Shulchan Harav is source eight, and the tshuva of the Avni Nezer is uh, source number nine. And, again, for, uh, for time's uh, sake, to save time, he says... Um, he's talking about a, 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 an aris over here. You see at the beginning, he says, So even though uh, Ralph is going to benefit from the fact that the aris went ahead, his sharecropper went ahead and did work in his farm on Shabbos, because at the end of the season, there'll be plenty of stuff, because he, one of the tasks which he did on Shabbos was he went ahead and pulled out all of the weeds. So being that he pulled out all the weeds, that's going to make the, the, the farm more profitable. But that's, that's, not, that's nobody's business. That's none of Ralph's business, the fact they decided to weed it on Shabbos, because he did that of his own volition, and it's nobody's, uh, nobody cares. But at the end of the paragraph, uh, uh, the Shulchan Achav says, The one thing that Ralph cannot tell 
his Aris to do is, you must weed the field on Shabbos. Instructing the Aris to go ahead and do the task of taking care of the field on Shabbos, so that is not allowed. And we would say, because you can never tell a non-Jew to do a malacha. So being that you can never tell a non-Jew to do a malacha, it doesn't make, make a difference whether he's a schir yom, he's, he's paid hourly. It doesn't make a difference whether he's a kablet and he's paid to do a job like an oil change, or whether he's in charge of running the farm for the season and he's going to get paid a percentage of the, of the crops. Any one of those things. If you're ever telling a non-Jew to do a malacha, game over, it's awesome. That would sort of be the conventional opinion. But comes along the Avni Nezer and he says, no, I disagree. An Aris is a completely different entity, a completely different um, uh, relationship than a Schir Yom or a Kablan. And that's going to be based on what we already saw in Tosos. And that's why we had to see the Tosos. He says, we're just going to jump in again. He says, He says, when it comes to an Aris, the sharecropper, that sharecropper that, that Ralph hires he becomes a partner in the field, a limited partner, because he doesn't actually own any equity. But as far as for this year, he's considered to be a partner in the field. Ve'ain, and here's the key, the, by calling him a partner, ve'ain by definition, partners are not agents for one another. They're not employees to one another or employers to one another. A shutaf means that you're the balabas. In a balabas, the, the defining characteristic of the balabas is you decide what you want to do. You're in charge. I'm the boss. That's what it means to be the boss, is you get to make the decision of what you want to do. So once we go ahead, and Tosos tells us that an aris is considered to be a share, uh, uh, that an aris is a shutaf, is a partner, that means that he's his own balabas, and therefore he never has to listen to you if you tell him to go ahead and, uh, and do work on Shabbos. Because they could say to you, what are you, you, you're telling me what to do. I'm a shutaf, I'm an equal partner, the same as you, and jump in the lake. I'm not going to do the work on Shabbos. And if I do the work on the Shabbos, it's because I want to do the work on Shabbos. And I don't care that you told me to go ahead and do the work, because you can't tell me what to do, because I'm an equal partner. Says Mutter, says the Avni Nezer, it's Mutter, afilu mechuyiv lasos v'shabbos. Even if it's absolutely necessary, the only way that this job is going to be able to get done is on Shabbos, when dealing with an Aris, it's going to be absolutely permitted. Because an Aris is never an employee, he's a partner. And as a partner, he's going to be as an equal footing for you, as he says, because an Aris, by definition, he's not your shliach. You can't call him your agent to do something because he's completely independent and equal to you as a partner. Kevon, she, eno notel, Perosov of Rupulaso. And he says also, it's just an interesting perspective. He says, at the end of the season, when Ralph and his Aris divide up the, the, uh, the, uh, the crop, and they're going to go ahead and they're going to do it, uh, Ralph gets two thirds, and the Aris is going to get one third, because Ralph is gener- generous, he's going to give him one third. But the truth is, is Re- it's not as if Ralph owns all 100% of the crops, all 100 bushels of the crops, and he's giving from his 100 bushels to the Aris. That's not what's going on. The mechanics of what's going on is there's a partnership. And therefore, when the Aris walks away with 33 bushels, those are his bushels. Those aren't Ralph's bushels, which he's giving away. And therefore, that's why it's going to be different, even from the case of Mel's uh, 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 toll booth collector, because really what's happening in the toll booth collector is all the money which is collected belongs to Mel, all $100. And he says, I will pay you $10 for the 100 that you collected for me. So the Gentile never owned those $10. He has to collect them as a salary from Mel. And if Mel decides to wig out on him and to uh, you know, run away to the Bahamas and never pay him. So he, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a, 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 a case where a, of an employee who didn't get paid his salary, which will be one courtroom, rather than Mel going ahead, or rather than Ralph going ahead and stealing his partner's assets. That's a completely different courtroom. That's, that's uh, going to be theft of property. So therefore he says, and the way we know this to be true is, and this is where he quotes Tosos. He says, Because as Tosos told us that the definition of an Aris is, even if it turns out you never did any work whatsoever, because it rained miraculously. You did a rain dance four times a year. And it rained each one of those times. You didn't have to pick up a bucket even once you're still going to get your full percentage. 
is your partner. And a partner gets this percentage no matter what. Mishum, and once again, he concludes because an aris is a shutter. So the significance of this is, is now we go back to our barbershop because that's where we started. So in the barbershop, if we were to go ahead and say that the barbers are kablanim, they're paid to do a task and they're going to be paid a certain amount for each task. So as a kablan, the Jewish owner would not be able to say to him, I, I, I demand that you work all the way until six o'clock on Friday, even when Shabbos starts at 4.30. And I demand that you work on Yontif. That would violate Kovei Malach, though. That wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be allowed. But in the event we go ahead and we look at the uh, barber as an aris. So if he's an aris, then we have a machlokis, at least according to Avni Nazer, you'd be able to tell him, I want you to go ahead and do these haircuts on, on Friday. And the, the, uh, the artist would be able to go ahead and say, that's fine, I don't mind doing so because I'm a partner in the work which is being done. And if I decide to work on Friday, it's up to me to do so. And you can't tell me what to do because I'm an artist. So now that's why that definition, that distinction between an artist and a, a cobbler is significant because in the event that that's the, 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 uh, the uh, remuneration structure, then we're gonna go ahead and we're going to categorize the barbers as an artist then it may very well be that it's going to be okay to let them work on Shabbos. Because an Aris, at least according to Avni Nezer, you'd have what to, to rely upon. The Mishabura seems to imply, like the Shulchan Acharav, that it's Aser, but there would at least be something to, uh, to work with. Yeah, now, even the Shulchan Acharav says that, that it seems to me that it's okay, except that you can't actually tell him to do it on Shabbos, right? I mean, right. Right. So the question was, can, can he insist, can the, the barbershop owner insist that they work on Friday till six? Okay. Now, it turns out that he said, he claimed whether or not that's true or not, but he claimed that, no, if they decide not to work, uh, you know, whatever hours, they just don't get paid for that time. But there'd be no, uh, there'd be uh, no recourse against them for deciding not to work all the way until six o'clock on Friday, or if they decide to take off and not work on a yonder, which makes that uh, in practical terms. And that per- particular Shaila, it makes the issue somewhat uh, somewhat moot, because then they're not being required to work anyways, and therefore that, that, that alleviates that issue. Yeah, but that's hard to believe. That's what he said, yeah. We can, you know, as a Rav, uh, you can only answer the Shaila based on the information that they give you. You know, you can't start telling them that they're giving you bad information. If you give me bad information, if you mess up your, your Kashras Shaila to me, you tell me it was kosher meat rather than non-kosher meat. I'm going to give you a wrong answer. So that's not my fault, though. You're giving me bad information. So that's, you know, that's, that's his achrayas, not ours. But now the last thing is, is marasayin. What's going to be the story with marasayin? And this is no small thing. Over here, I won't read it inside, but over here in source 10, so Shulchan Aruch d- differentiates between leasing out a farm to somebody else and leasing out a bathhouse. And Shulchan Aruch says that he opens up, he says, I can't go ahead and lease out my bathhouse to a non-Jew because everybody knows that it's my bathhouse. And when people see the non-Jew working on my, in my bathhouse on Shabbos, they're going to assume that I hired him as a daily wage earner. And they will assume that I did something wrong by hiring, by, uh, by, by, by having him there. However, but, skip now, he says, Aval But if I go ahead and I hire, I lease out my field to a non-Jew, that is permitted. Even though he's going to be working in my backyard, in the field on Shabbos. Everybody sees he's working on Shabbos. Why? Because that is common. Because this sharecropping arrangement is something which is very common. And if you see somebody working in a, in a farm, so it's not going to be so outlandish to assume that, uh, that, uh, that, that he's there as a sharecropper rather than getting paid by the hour. And since it's something which is very common, therefore it would be, uh, it, 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 uh, it alleviates any Morris iron issues and it's going to be okay. So the main thing is, is that in those industries, and Shulchan Aruch mentions this in C base over there, Reish Mem Gibel base, but we say that in those industries where it's common to go ahead and hire a sharecropper, so then even if I hire, even if I, I rented him for the day, it's going to be permitted because everybody's going to assume that I did it, 
I did it with the in a parameters which are allowed, but in those industries where it's uncommon to go ahead and do so, so then even if I t- if I technically followed halacha in my arrangements with the non-Jew, it's still also because people will assume the worst. Okay, that being said, so the Bir Halacha asks on this, he says, this is source 11 here, he says, Yeshel Ayin, he says, we need to do a little bit of research over here. Do we need that most, in order for this to be permitted, do we need that most people in that industry go ahead and lease out their field? They go ahead and they have a sharecropping agreement. And that's what the rush says. Aval, skipping a little, Aval minag shava but in the event that it works 50-50, 50% of the people go ahead and they hire the worker as an aris. They go ahead and they hire the person as a sharecropper. But you have another 50% to go ahead and hire them by the hour. So in that case, maybe it's going to be aser because once it's 50-50, the low yitzlu barisus, people aren't going to automatically assume that this employee is a sharecropper. And once it's only 50-50, they may assume the worst. Oh, Dilmar, perhaps, or perhaps in this case, it's also going to be permitted. You don't need majority, even if 50-50 would be okay. Now, obviously, there's no way for us to go ahead and determine, you know, how barbershops are run, whether or not, or we're not going to spend the time, I should say, calling up all the barbershops and find out how they pay their employees. But it's an interesting question because if employees, if many barbershops, if you walk by a barbershop, so do you assume that the barbers are being paid hourly? Or do you assume that they're being paid a percentage of each haircut? And that, that, that question is going to directly impact whether even if everything technically is permitted in halacha, but there's still a potential issue of marasayim. And if the, most people assume that barbers are paid an hourly rate rather than a percentage from each haircut, so then even if technically you've arranged things where they actually do get a percentage, it may still be us to keep the barbershop open on Yontif or on Shabbos on Friday night, because as people walk by, they're not going to make the assumption that they're being paid that hourly, that they're being paid a percentage from each haircut. They will assume that the employees are actually being paid an hourly rate for their for their time. And if that's the assumption that people are going to make, so then, as we said, even if technically you've crossed all your T's and you dotted all your I's, it could still be us because of Mara Sayan. Rabbi Schaffel, suppose yes. somebody put a sign up in the in the window of the store that said, "This is owned by an by an observant Jew, and it's only open on Shabbos and on Yontif under the um, under the assumption of an Aris." Yeah. So in, in this case, in, in some cases of Maris Ayin, we don't uh, 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 a neon sign would not be sufficient. Um, but in this case, Shulchan Aruch actually mentions that it will be sufficient. That as long as it's Yadua, that that's the arrangement which is going on, so that may uh, that could uh, alleviate the uh, the, uh, the Maris Ayin issue. This part of it, just to, to give you the uh, the conclusion, this part of it, we actually sent back to, to the Rav of that town there, because we asked, where exactly is this barbershop located? Is it located in a Jewish neighborhood, or it's located, you know, some, you know, faraway uh, place uh, not in the neighborhood. And the person said, uh, basically said, it's like as if they had this uh, Jewish-owned barbershop on Tui Avenue between uh, Kedzie and uh, California. So it's a pretty Jewish area over there. And uh, we left it to the Rabbanim of that town to decide, make a, a communal decision, whether or not they're comfortable with a known Jewish-owned business being open on Shabbos, even if technically they've satisfied all the halachic requirements that you could get away with it and you could justify it, but they may not be uh, comfortable with businesses so blatantly and so openly being open on Shabbos that because that could just create a lot of confusion. Uh, people thinking that businesses in general could be open on Shabbos and won't know all of the nuances and all the things behind the scenes, why this is actually going to be permitted. So therefore we left that up to them, uh, you know, the bottom of that town to go ahead and make that final decision, how they want to go ahead and, and implement it. But in terms of the mechanics of what could possibly justify such a practice so that we went ahead and we, we provided them and then we uh, left it in their, uh, in, in their capable hands. Yeah. yeah, I have a question. When, when, yeah. when, an, issue, when an issue is Marisayan, yes. 
why should 50% be a relevant number? Even, even if only 30% have a mutter arrangement, as long as it's a high enough percentage that it's reasonably common, why are you going to say that people are going to think he's doing it the wrong way? Um, Right, no, so I, I agree with you 100%. In, in the what percentage is going to tip the scales, so that uh, the, the, the bir halacha is handling with whether that's 50 50, even 50 50, or it has to be more than 50 50. Yeah, but 30%, I'm saying people, aren't, people don't necessarily, they're not going to assume the best. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying even if it's less than 50 50, as long as it's reasonably common that, that, that people are doing it the right way, why should people assume they're doing it the wrong way? Right. So uh, I, I don't know the psychology of why Chazal decided that you need either, it has to be 50% or more, uh, depending on the machlokas and the bir halacha, that 30% is not enough. There's always the difficulty, the, 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 uh, the challenge to understanding every, every maris ayin of Chazal is the fact that we have a principle, you should be down the kafschos. So why don't we say in every one of these situations, listen, why are you looking in, uh, you know, under somebody else's coat? Why are you looking under their talus? I think the, the saying goes, keep your nose out of everybody else's business and give them the benefit of the doubt that they, they probably, they're from, they're from person and they probably did it in accordance with halacha. Well, I, I mean, if, if the percentage is overwhelming, I mean, you know, if, if only 5% do it in the mutter way and it's overwhelmingly done in an usher way, then I can see why people would assume that it's done in an usher way. But if it's a reasonably high percentage, I, 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 I just don't see it. Why? Yeah, so, the, the, so the question is, what, what, what is that reasonably high percentage? That's an undefined term. What you might I, I know, find reasonably what, high, maybe another person may be reasonably low. I, I, I agree with you that the, the, the cutoff point is not clearly defined. But what I'm saying is that the, the beer halacha is casting doubt about 50 percent. But certainly he's saying 49 percent is not good enough. And and sure. and and it seems to me that that 49 percent should be way more than good enough. I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand why they're imputing psychology there where 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 there's a huge number of people who are doing it the right way and they're going to assume, ah, this guy's doing it the wrong way. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, I, I hear. I, I I I don't have a good answer as to why why they they're choosing that number. It could be just because they're looking for rove. Usually things are based on often things are based on rove, and once things are going to be based on rove, so now the question is going to be: Do you need literally a rove, or fifty fifty is going to is going to be good enough? As I said, you, you're probably not going to find an actual case where we're going to be able to differentiate between fifty percent and fifty one percent. But it seems to be that this is something which is common enough that that's what everybody's going to go ahead and assume. Rather than something which is uncommon, which you know people the you know would uh, less common, which people would not assume. But yeah, I, I don't know. Your 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 question is well taken, and I don't have a good answer for for that. Yeah, well, the majority of customers who walk into Jewel are buying Trafe stuff, so maybe I shouldn't be allowed to go into Jewel because people think I'm buying Trafe stuff. I, I mean, in 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 the, why are you buying Trafe stuff? Sure, what? every day. <laughs> Rabbi Sheffield? Yeah. What if, what if the, the Jewish guy who owns the barbershop makes an arrangement with the non-Jew who works there and says, look, whatever you earn on Friday after four o'clock or five o'clock, you get to keep the whole amount? Yeah, so it, 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 it could be. Other than the Mars Ion issue, that would certainly work. Because then, then you would say he's not working for the, the employer. He's working completely independent. Uh, give, given those conditions. And in fact, shouldn't he do that? I mean, forget about the Marisayan. Shouldn't he do that? Because the person, if you're still, if you're in a partnership with a Jew, then the Jew is earning the money through you on Shabbos. Right. So uh, that's part of what we did not read. Thank you for calling me out on it. <laughs> so back... Um, I've actually gotten rid of it. Yeah, he says that we did read it. Um, up here. We call Malcolm. Nonetheless, in source eight over here. It says, Nicole Malcolm came on Shanachi, Elu Miskav Malachto Bishotovas, Hayisrael. The non Jew doing the Malach as an artist. 
he doesn't have in mind, his intention is not at all to do something beneficial to the Jew. He doesn't care about the Jew. He's doing it for completely uh, self-serving. He's doing it because he wants her, let's say by the barber, he wants to earn 10 bucks. That's why he's, he's going to cut the hair. Because he wants to get the fruit of the field or he wants to get the $10 from the, the, the haircut. So now here's your, your point, Charlene. Even though it happens to be that simultaneous to the time that the non-Jew is cutting the hair and he's earning for himself $10, the Jew is earning $5 at that exact same moment. Says the Shulchan Archarav, none of our business. It, it, that, that, that's not the only time it's going to be problematic is when the non-Jew is doing it with the intent to benefit the Jew. But if it turns out that he's doing it completely out of his own self-interest, and it just happens to be that while he's pursuing his own self-interest, the Jew profits as well. So that's not problematic. Rak, as he says, Rak Yizar, we actually didn't read inside. Rak the only restriction is you can't tell him to do it on Shabbos. But as, as long as you don't tell him to do it on Shabbos, the fact that the Jew is profiting memela, as long as that's not the non-Jew's intent, then it's, uh, then, then it's okay. There may be a schar Shabbos issue. That's a different topic for a different uh, Thursday night to discuss uh, issues of schar Shabbos, of Shabbos earnings, why this may or may not be a problem of schar Shabbos. But as far as, and it could be that as far as Chash Shabbos is concerned, Charlene, you're correct, that he's better off just giving all the money to the non-Jew in that case, and that will avoid the Chash Shabbos. But, but in, in technical terms, it's not actually going to be problematic as long as the non-Jew doesn't have in mind to provide this benefit for the Jew. Okay, thank you. Is this how, how we get away with waiters? Um, paying them, well... Wait, so waiters, the advantage of a waiter, and this comes up also, it's important to, to, uh, to always keep that in mind with these types of shows, is that the waiter isn't necessarily hired to do any malacha. If all he's doing is he's plating and serving, so if he's not being paid to do malacha, then, it's never, then it wouldn't be a problem. There's not a mirror lenachri on a non-malacha. If they actually have Wait. to do malacha. Yeah. Okay, I'm not talking, I'm sorry. Take, let me take that back. Okay. I'm not talking about a waiter ser- serving food. I'm talking about like a, like people who work for caterers who are moving food in and out of trucks on Shabbos or so or uh, in and out of ovens and well not ovens so that's the bad example but yeah so you, you you're correct so you'd have to you'd have to make that you'd have to make that call whether or not they're actually are they are they hired to are, are, is is part of your employment agreement with them that they do malacha or they're doing malacha uh, because it's more convenient for them. I'll give you an example. We were just discussing this um, last night. Uh, last night we were discussing uh, somebody who owns a therapy business. Uh, this, this is the way the, the world economy works. It's like mind-boggling to me to this day that there's a fellow, Chaim, he lives in Lakewood and he bought a therapy business. What does the therapy business mean? There's a couple of therapists in Massachusetts and a couple of therapists in Georgia, and they work for Chaim in Lakewood, New Jersey. He doesn't know the first thing. About, he doesn't know the first thing about the therapy. He doesn't even know what they do as therapists. He just knows that it was a profitable business, and he invested and he bought the business off uh, of some uh, some other fellow. So the question is, can these these therapists can they work on Shabbos? So one of the questions you have to ask is, depending on the type of therapist it is, let's say a PT. A PT, very often the, the work that the therapist does with their client, with their patient, doesn't involve malach at all. It's exercises. Stretch over here, stretch over here. Oh, 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 that hurts. Oh, it feels good. Something along those lines. So that's, so that's something you're not actually hiring them to do malacha. So as an OT, so it depends on what the person, what, 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 what they're working on. So if they're working on handwriting, so if they're working on handwriting, it's hard to say that it's not malacha related. Writing is a malacha. Okay. If they're doing like grip exercises, so you can do grip exercises which don't actually involve malacha. If it's not necessary to do malacha in order to accomplish the task, if the therapist decides to do malacha anyways, that's not traced back to you. That was their decision. So with a waiter or a caterer, so you have a similar type of thing. If all I'm hiring you to do is make sure there's food on plates, and you could have gone ahead and you could have dropped, you could have driven the truck and you could have done all of this on Friday. 
and you decided that you don't want to do it on Friday, you want to do it on Saturday instead, that's your choice. I, I didn't tell you to go ahead and do it on Saturday. All I need is food on plates. You decided to do it on Saturday. That's your own choice. But if the work which I'm asking you to do has to be done on Shabbos, has to be done with the malacha, that's already where you cross the line. And that's always, you know, in these in these in in these topics, it's always important to keep that in mind, whether they're actually being hired to do a malacha or they're deciding to do it on their own. I'll give one more example, then I'll let you all go. The same type of thing is, let's say the case of the actual waiters themselves. So you hire them to go ahead and you do a, uh, you hire them to uh, uh, to serve at a simcha on Shabbos. And you say to them before Shabbos, listen, I want to go ahead and I want to be efficient. I want to pay you as soon as possible. So give everybody should give me your, your home address. I'll have checks written. And as soon as Shabbos is over, the, the, the job is done. I'm going to put the checks in the mail. So you find out because now you know all of their home addresses. You know that they live on the west side of Chicago. So how are they getting from the west side of Chicago to Young Israel of Skokie on, on, on Shabbos morning? They're not walking. So aren't, doesn't that mean that you're telling them to do malacha? How else are they going to do the job of serving a meal on, uh, on, on Shabbos uh, coming from the west side to Skokie? But the, re- the answer is, is that's none of your business. You're not hiring them to get to Young Israel of Skokie. You're hiring them to serve in Young Israel of Skokie. Doesn't matter. They could sleep out overnight. They could think it's Black Friday and sleep out overnight in front of the shul in order to be able to be there. It's none of your business because they're not paid for that time. So if they decide to drive on Shabbos morning to be able to do the job, since they're not paying, they're not being paid to do that. They're not your employees for that that particular task or that particular malacha, and therefore you're uh, you're not responsible for it. It's not your amir l'nachri that they're doing on their own. So it's always important to uh, to figure out. Why is the person doing the malacha? Because you're instructing them to do so or because they want to do so on their own? We won't discuss the waiter whose name is Stanley Cohn. Yeah, we're, not, we're talking about Jewish names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're avoiding that topic. Like the right. Thank you. Thank you for not bringing that up. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, all. Thank you, Rabbi. Yep. Yeah, Happy meeting everybody. next week.